Hello everyone and welcome back to Designers on the Mic. This time I'm joined by Fred Serval, the designer of the recent hit Red Flag Over Paris from GMT Games. We talked about Red Flag Over Paris as well as Fred's YouTube channel, Homo Ludens, and his upcoming two-player coin design, A Jest of Robin Hood. Fred, of course, also joined us for the hot seat and we talked about some of our favorite historical board game memories as well as what we look for when we sit down to play a board game. Sit back and enjoy this one. I had a lot of fun talking with Fred. Make sure you check out his upcoming board game designs, his recently published Red Flag Over Paris, and his YouTube channel, Homo Ludens. Enjoy! Fred, thanks for joining us on Designers on the Mic. How are you today? I'm doing really well, and thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, of course. You know, we were talking before I hit the record button that for you, this is an infrequent time where you're on the other side of the table. Yes, why don't, yes. Uh, just in case people don't know, why don't you tell us about Homo Ludens? What is Homo Ludens? Yeah, so Homo Ludens is a channel that I opened in 2019, a YouTube channel uh, that I originally started to popularize war games to a, a non-war uh, gamer audience uh, because I felt like it was a, a niche in the hobby that in my sense, deserved more attention and had a lot to offer in terms of gaming experience, but also historical experience. I started this in 2019, mostly doing reviews in a very infrequent uh, manner uh, because uh, I really wanted to have in-depth reviews with uh, historical content and also uh, this idea that I had that every review should contain a ludography. So expanding on uh, once you review the game on a specific topic about whether the games exist in the topic and the differences between them. It required for me a, a huge amount of time that I didn't have, and and it, I was struggling to release more than a few videos per year. Um, but recently, so I would say mid last year, so mid twenty twenty one, I decided to change a bit the format that I had and starting doing almost <laughs> weekly live streams, um, and where I would just bring people in, have a chat, uh, either with designers or having a panel about a specific topic. We also did a book club and everything. And as I was saying, I was. I'm usually on the other side. So people are, are coming in and I have to focus on the structure and facilitating the discussion more than anything, but I never really have to answer questions myself. And I was realizing on the way home that I was going to record this and I was like, you know what? Telling to my to my partner, you know what? I'm actually a bit scared. And like, <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah. So I realized that actually being on the other side also, uh, also has some, uh, it's a specific kind of pressure, I guess. But I'm, I'm very happy to be here, just to be here. <laughs> Good. Well, we're happy to have you. And I got to say that I, I've certainly noticed the uptick in inactivity on the channel. And one of, one of the things I think is just um, so bizarre. You know, if you go look at, at the Homo Ludens video backlog, you'll see David Thompson, you'll see Volker Runke, you'll see Mark Herman, you see all these names. And kind of couched in the middle of the recent episodes is Todd McFarlane. <laughs> and so are you were you a comic book fan beforehand so, actually i am yeah i'm a comic okay. i'm so in in so i'm french uh as you might have heard or people might have heard and in france the, there is a big um comic book culture so we have uh, what we call mm -hmm. bd franco belge which is the whole um types of uh, comic books that were made in france and in uh, french-speaking belgium which is really big uh for us and we are also, France is also the, 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 the second country that purchases the most um, uh, manga comic books. So we're really big consumers of, of comics coming from, uh, from Japan. So there is a really big comic book culture over there. 
Um, the American comics are a bit less popular, but uh, I really got into them uh, when I was in high school. Uh, I loved, uh, I really developed a love for for uh, for American comics. Um, but uh, but yeah, I wasn't um, specifically a, a fan of Todd Mark Farlane, uh-huh. but it, it was funny because I, I knew that he was in on the Coin Discord server, and I have a, a really good uh, friend, Sean O'Keefe, who was actually telling me that he was playing regularly coin games with him on Basel. Uh, and I was like, "What the fuck? That's that's really that's a bit crazy." And say, "Yeah, he's actually really nice." And I was like, "But you're sure it's the same?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, definitely sure." And he's a big comic book fan, so for him, it was a bit of a nerd dream of playing one of his favorite game with one of his favorite author. And then at some point, Sean helps me a lot with the scale of the live stream, giving me ideas. We exchange a lot. I call him my editor in chief, uh, and he does help a lot in that in that sense. And he told me, "You know what?" I think that Todd would be really happy to talk about his journey into wargaming. It would be a different kind of format. You should just invite him. I'm pretty sure he would be happy to do that. And just came out of nowhere and and he reached out to him and he said, yeah, definitely, I'm, I would be happy to be on the show. And we talked about this and discovered that he was a, a massive uh, game nerd. Uh, so playing a lot of... Um, those baseball simulation games, uh-huh. uh, yeah, he's really big onto that. And then he actually built up toward uh, war games, uh, and he developed quite an obsession for uh, for coin games specifically. But he plays a lot. Uh, he plays a lot of war games and a lot of solo games. Uh, it's uh, yeah, he has a pretty massive and impressive collection. Uh, so yeah, it, and it was really fun. Very very nice guy. Uh, super interesting. Uh, we had a discussion about board gaming as an industry uh, off stream afterwards uh, a very interesting person uh, yeah really really cool well i i when the interview started i was i like i was wondering like how 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 true is this like how and the first thing he starts off is like talking about people playing like terraforming mars and he mentions like all these popular um you know mainstream uh, mm. board games and i'm like oh oh shit like todd todd mcfarland's in on this and so that oh, was really yeah. um before i really dove into board gaming more of just like a we would do it at family get-togethers i've always been a comic fan and i've slowed down i don't maintain a monthly poll um but that was a really cool of like worlds colliding yeah like, yeah go ahead sorry no that that's okay i was gonna mention you mentioned french comics i have a very limited um, one of the very first French comics I read was The Killer. Have you have you read that? Are you familiar? Uh, no, The Killer. What would be the the? Do you know the name in French? Oh no, it's uh, by it's Jacquemin and Mats. Ah, I'm not sure I've I've read that one. I would be actually quite curious to uh to uh to to see it. Yeah, if you can send me a, a link afterwards, that would yeah. be uh, that would be great. Absolutely, yeah. Like probably four years ago, it was on a podcast, and people. Um, one of the one of the hosts was um, she was just raving about French comics, and one of them she pointed out was the killer. And the first the first issue was very intriguing. But uh, I'm always interested to see worlds collide like that. Mm. Yeah, and I hope to to have a few plans for this year about things that are a bit like this, maybe a, a bit more obvious than than having one of the biggest comic book artists being a war gamer. <laughs> but there are I've identified a few people that are known um, within war gaming, but not as war gamers, and bring them in because I know they are war gamers. So they so people see that there are probably more people playing war games than we expect. Um, so I have a few plans for this year. So I'll try to have a couple of surprises. Yeah, there are dozens of us. So. Yeah, <laughs> we are everywhere. <laughs> so, 
So you asked Todd, and this is this is such a routine question, but it is one that I always find interesting. You asked Todd, what was your origin story? And so now I'm curious for you, what what was your origin story into uh, into specifically historical board gaming? Mm, yeah, that's a that's a good question, and I would say that there are maybe two big phases. Uh, okay, I think there is my origin story into gaming in in general. Um, so when I was a when I was young teenager, I would say, so not really uh, at, the, at the peak of the hormones, but they were starting to kick in. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was really into um, I was really into uh, warmer fantasy battles. Uh, so I, mm. I, I had the Dark Elves army at the time, and with my friends, we had those uh, those armies. We didn't really understood completely the rules, and were really bad at painting. But it was a big thing for us. We really enjoyed the lore and and playing around, rolling a lot of dice, and and arguing about uh, uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like the outcome of stuff. But it was a big thing for us, and we liked it quite a lot. Um, and I was also a big Risk fan. Uh, and it was, yeah, it, it was really, it was really something that I enjoyed a lot. And then on the side, um, with my brother, we played a lot of those. I don't know the name in English, uh, but in French, in French, it's called uh, "Livre dont vous êtes le héros," and those are those adventure books where you choose your own adventure, like mm. you choose the the path that you take and everything, um, which was also a big thing for for us. So I had this moments in my life where I really enjoyed games and the social aspect of it and interacting with my friends. And I enjoyed the strategy and, and really enjoyed that. It's also at the time where I was starting to play a lot of Go, uh, which is a game that had a, that had followed me my whole life. Sure. Um, and, but then it stopped. Uh, there were a few things that happened. Uh, video games became bigger for me than girls became pretty <laughs> big for me. Uh, and and all this disappeared for, for a while. And then I think it was... Uh, maybe eight years ago or something like this, um, I decided at some point in my life to reduce my consumptions of video games, but also social media. Uh, mm. I was spending too much time on Facebook and I didn't enjoy it at all. I didn't like what it was doing to to my time, to my free time. And video games were taking too, too much time. I was mm. playing a lot of video games at the time. And I decided to radically stop. Um, but I needed to keep on playing. For me, playing was quite important. Uh, I think it's, and I was seeing it as something healthy. So for me, playing was never something bad. It was just being on the screen for so long. And I started looking into board games and I realized, oh, board games became really big since I played Risk. There is so many things. Uh, and we have a pretty great uh, French uh, design scene uh, in France. We have a lot of really good Euro game designers and stuff like this. But those games weren't what really excited me the most. And then I remember I was in a shop that had a, a shelf uh, with, what, I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was games that looked a bit weird. And those were war games. And there was a box that was really prominent. And that box was Twilight Struggle. And I was like, whoa, that looks pretty cool. And, and I, I looked at the back of the box and I saw the whole map of the world. And I saw the events that I knew because I, I studied um, history and political science. So it, this period of time was something that I knew pretty well, and I was like, "Wow, that's 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 fascinating." And and so I got it. My partner said, "Oh, actually, I, I would like to play that too. That seems pretty interesting." And we opened up the box when we were back home, starting to put things together, and we played our first game. And I was like hooked. Like I was like, "My God, I had no idea that games could do that." And it was like it was. It changed my life uh, really. Like I, I realized that first of all, I could completely fall in love with board games, that it was a thing that I wanted to keep uh, looking into. But also I realized that it was such a powerful medium to explore history, which is something that I have, <laughs> I didn't, I absolutely didn't expect. 
And yeah, it all started from there. So it's all because of Ananda Gupta and Jason Matthews. Um, so yeah. It's it's just that one one hit. Like I had yeah. <clears throat> I've talked about in the past, you know, some things bounce off and they don't necessarily click, but you find that one that clicks and you know, it's I I come from uh a history and political science background as well and I didn't much like you. I did not start there. Plenty of board games, all kinds of things. Maybe not a venture into girls at any point, but um, until I met my wife. But it was a similar experience where that one game we played just blew our mind, and that's that's how I was hooked. Which game was that? It, it was the U.S. Civil War. Uh, oh, by yeah. Simonich. I, yeah, that's a big one. That's a big, it, a big first step. Yeah. It, it, well, there were there were prior games of that. I had played Twilight Struggle. I had oh, I yeah. had played uh, Wilderness War, kind of, and we had played uh, Fast Action Battle. And I think for me, and I'll be curious to hear what your thoughts are, is the story aspect of historical games is a huge component of whether I enjoy the game or not. It's fine to have great mechanics. Um, but I need a, I need the story to come off the the board, and so I guess we'll transition to what what drives you either from a design perspective, because after all, this is designers on the mic, not um, not fellow YouTuber podcast hosts on the mic. You have your own games, and what what drives you from a board game player? Is it is it the story? Is it mechanics? Is it you know the perfect blend of both? So I think for me, what uh there were two things that really caught me uh, early on in, in war games and what I, I really realized I really enjoyed. One of them was uh, just a different way to explore history. Um, mm-hmm. And and the thing that I felt is that after playing a game of Twilight Struggle, I wanted to read books to actually contextualize the games and like having this will of exploring more and so much like historical content behind each of the cards, the, the craft of making events that make sense within the context of the event, uh, within the the, the explaining the actual event uh, was was really interesting but i think one of the things that are, that i also really fell in love with was that there were some games when i were when i was playing them even though i knew about the history even though i read about it or watched a documentary or some movies about it sometimes when i was playing some games i was playing something and i was raising aha uh-huh, this is why this happened because yep. i was seeing it physically on a map and I was like, I'm in that position. Uh, I'm taking that specific decision. I understand why this decision was taken because I'm in the similar kind of situation or representation of that situation. And I feel like I understand the different elements that led to that decision-making process. And this like gave me a bit of a, a th- like a thrill that I uh, absolutely um, enjoyed uh, quite a lot. Um, and yeah, that's the that's the thing that I that I felt was so powerful is that some historical event or some specific decisions that were really pivotal in the moment to during a, a conflict or something like this took a certain sense just because I was m- in the position of making a similar kind of decision within the context of a game. And it made it very tangible. And I thought that was when I felt that the, the first time I was like, this is, this is insane. I've never felt that uh, before. Uh, and I think that's really unique uh, in our in our hobby. It's funny you mentioned that because this literally happened to me two nights ago when I was playing Men of Iron, which is not in it's not overly complex. It's you know it's tactical medieval warfare, but um, however many years I'm into this hobby now, that's still happening, and that's why I continue to 
play these games. Something happened in the game, and I was like, "Wow, I get, um, I get, I get this now. I get why this is a maneuver, why someone would move in this nature." And that's, I agree, that is really powerful about historical board games and and something unique to uh, to this hobby. Hmm. I, I think for me, the first time that it happened was that it really struck me was when playing uh, a game called Hold Fast uh, Korea, uh, so by Worthington, which is a um, grand strategic block game about the Korean War. Uh, probably not the best game on the Korean War, if I'm being honest, but at the time it was nice for me because Hold Fast was pretty uh, simple and straightforward system. And I quite enjoy them still to this day. It's just not the... And I, I think the direction that they were taking with the Hold Fast series is super interesting now. Um, but yeah, those are not... I'm not saying those are the best game in any, so that's not what I'm saying, but they are really nice games, uh, pretty accessible. But still, when I was playing this game, I suddenly understood uh, why you would have an amphibious attack uh, by the international forces uh, just south of Seoul. Because when you're playing the game, you really realize why you need to do the amphibious attack just there when you can, because you're basically cutting the whole supply lines from the north to the south. And all those troops that are, all those North Korean troops that are basically making the siege of Busan are completely screwed just mm -hmm. by this. And it, it makes it extremely tangible. And you're like, oh, now I understand why this specific place makes a lot of sense. And it's, yeah, that was the first time. And it was, yeah. And then there were, it happened a few times, but this one was a, was the first haha moment where I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, totally. And that, that is a fun little game. I I mean, and also I think it shows like you need to get out of there to be able to maneuver because there's no wiggle room on that map, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, no, there, there is not a lot. Definitely not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, and if I miss anything, please obviously uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, uh, one of the reasons, you know, I had originally asked you to uh, submit a segment to our end of the year clip and that was kind of our introduction to each other i'd yeah. been watching homo ludens and i was i, I want to get this guy on here and then um i will admit when red flag over paris p500 i did not p500 it but oh my god i, remedied, I know <laughs> i know but i remedied that immediately with a pre-order and so i was a little delayed in getting it but i have it and i love it um and so red flag over paris is your most recent release and then you are also working on a coin game called a Jess of Robin Hood. Did, did I miss anything? Uh, no, you didn't miss anything. Uh, I think my my design, uh, my my first design was a, a, a small game that I'm not allowed to talk about because of professional reason, but I made just for, for my nieces. Um, so it was a, a small 10 game uh, using a, a popular toy system that I won't mention. Um, so that was something that I did just for them. Uh, and but then yeah, red flag over my red flag over Paris is my my first uh, design. In the meantime, during the process of the whole P500s with GMT, I designed a small a print and play called the Gravelot 1870 about um, a specific battle at the beginning of the Franco-Prussian War uh, that I did for um, uh, a, a British uh, online magazine called Punched. Uh, we wanted for the first issue to have a, a free game, a bit like a traditional uh, wargaming uh, magazine so we wanted just as a, a bit as a joke have a free game there uh, but it's yeah uh, also on the frequent well on the on the what happened before you could say the red uh, the paris commune and then yes i had um after we were done with red flag over paris it was uh getting close to be to being done 
uh, I proposed another game to GMT, which is A Jest of Robin Hood, which is an introductory level coin game on uh, in the universe of uh, of Robin Hood. So this is the yeah this is the this is going to be the next game with GMT, and I expect it's probably going to be my next released game. Uh, but I do also have a, a few projects on the side. But for now, I haven't necessarily said much about it. Uh, but happy to talk about it if you wish. Yeah no so I'm. Um... I guess my question for you is uh, Red Flag Over Paris is based off the Fort Sumter game. And then um, Coin is obviously this now very well-established series. Um, what, on, on a broad level, what attracted you to the Fort Sumter design to use that for Red Flag Over Paris? And then what is it about Coin? Um, because I'm, I'm admittedly very picky about my coin games. What is it about you and the coin system that you like so much? Yeah, okay. But first, yeah, Fort Sumter. Um, so the thing is, um, I, I originally designed the first game on the Paris Commune uh, that was only focusing on the outcome of the Paris Commune, uh, so the Bloody Week, so, and, and a couple of weeks before that, so read the conflicts, uh, the combats surrounding Paris, and then the combats in Paris. And it was an um, area impulse game. Uh, but it, it wasn't really interesting and it wasn't saying anything interesting, I thought, about the, the event of the Paris Commune. And I realized that there was no game on the Paris Commune. So if I wanted to make a game about it, probably I should make something that had a broader scope and that maybe was saying something a bit more interesting about the event than just the combat, which didn't have actually a lot of interest to it. And it's pretty bloody and it's actually a pretty awful affair. So I was like, is it really a good idea? And then I played uh, Fort Sumter, um, and the thing that I that struck me with Fort Sumter and reminded me why I loved uh, Thirteen Days so much is that the angle that those games are taking is that they are not talking about specific conflict or specific events, but they are talking about the escalation of attention that led to an event. Um, and I thought, wait, it struck me, and I thought this is exactly what's interesting about the Paris Commune. This is not the, the combat itself that was interesting. What was interesting was the escalation of tension between those two competing governments, how they fought, like took position against each other politically, uh, but also militarily, the kind of um, tension that uh, that rose to the point where you had this unfortunate event of the Bloody Week. And I was thinking as a system, something that focuses on this is way more interesting than anything else that I could do. So after playing Fort Sumter, I started to think a lot about how I could implement this within the context of the Paris Commune. And everything made suddenly a lot of sense. Um, and it was doing everything that I wanted to do because it was focusing on the part that I thought was interesting about the event. It was short, it was approachable, and it was card-based, which meant that I could actually say a lot of things regarding the event in a lot of interesting ways because that's the power of, uh, of events. And it was going back to a game that I love and that made me love war games, and that's Twilight Struggle. So for me, that was, uh, that was the perfect combo. Well, it checks a lot of boxes for me. I'm, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. Rich and I recorded our most recent episode last night. So it was before you and I were talking. And I'm a huge fan. I really like Red Flag Over Paris. And what you say about how it's, it's about the escalation and it's not about you know one specific fight. I think, are you familiar at all with uh, the term or the historical moment called Bleeding Kansas? Oh, uh, so I, I've... Yes, uh, so there is a game about it, right? There is. and But as soon as I played Red Flag Over Paris, I thought to myself, this is the perfect game to represent 
uh, that time period because the clashes aren't really probably, Mm. you know, interesting to gamify, but this escalation and the struggles of each side, whether you agree with, obviously I don't agree with one side, but um, I think that's a really interesting point that covering the escalation because it works really well here. Yeah, and I think it's uh, and I think it's it's a it's a very interesting system in that sense, and I think should be explored a lot more, because in a lot of ways, war games are mostly focusing on a specific combat. Once this crisis has started, and actually in a lot of ways, understanding why the crisis has started is often more interesting and insightful than mm-hmm. how the crisis unfolded, because often how it unfolded depends on why it happened in the first place. And I think it's a really interesting approach and a really interesting idea that we should explore a lot more uh, in wargaming. I and I also got to I got to tell you guys, um, you guys meaning yourself and uh, Mark Herman, that it's so refreshing. And I just mentioned this: I tend to focus on these big giant games, and I love those experiences. I wouldn't trade them. It uh, this and three hundred, which is a game you told me about. Mm. You just sit down and play and whether it's 15 minutes or 45 minutes, but you, you play it and then you almost instantly want to go, let's rack it up. Let's do it again. It's really nice and refreshing to have quick, but also high quality war games present. So uh, I applaud you and your efforts for that. Yeah. Thank you. And I really appreciate it because it's like, in a way it's really what I wanted with the game, not doing something that doing something that, was doing a decent job and it's not a simulation in any way, but doing a decent job at talking about the event itself, mm-hmm. um, not being too simplistic, but also um, being challenging and interesting enough. Uh, but while being um, approachable to a, a wider audience, uh, as wide an audience as possible, which was really what I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, and hearing like people saying like you, well, I had a lot of fun, even though I prefer bigger games, but it was, there was enough depth for me to feel engaged and I felt like I wanted to play a couple of games in a row is exactly what I hoped for. So I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. You got a good one on your hands here and I'm, and I'm really legitimately not just saying that. Um, so let's, let's talk about coin though, because I'm always curious to hear what, what makes coin click for people. And I've, I've tried to approach coin recently through a different lens. What is it for you that attracts, what attracts you to coin? Oh, it's it, it's funny because uh, the first times I played Coin, uh, it bounced pretty hard. <laughs> um, so the first game I got was uh, which one is the name again? Colonial Twilight on the on the mm. on the Algeri- on the war in Algeria because I was super interested in the topic. It was a two-player one, and at the time when it was released, I didn't expect that I could find three other people to play a, a game like this with me. So going with a, a two-player game was the most realistic thing to do. Um, and I was amazed by the system, by what it was depicting, but I, I, I don't know. I, I had a hard time getting into it. Um, then I started to explore more uh, the the series, but I mostly played on online uh, on Vassal. And the games that I were in were at, as, uh, like play over email so it was asynchronous and everything and it was very mechanical and i was like i didn't i didn't get really hooked into into the coin system and i was like oh it's frustrating i feel like there is something here and i don't know what it is but i cannot get into it and it was frustrating um because i felt it was a game for me but when i was playing it i wasn't feeling it 
And then something awful happened in the world. The pandemic uh, came uh, early 2020, and I was started to get stuck at home and had to find occupations to do. And um, and I got into Discord because I heard that there were new Discord groups for war gamers, and uh, so I tried to to join a few. And I've heard about um, uh, a prototype for a coin game around medieval Japan uh, made by a guy called Joe Dewhurst that looked a bit ins- insane, but quite interesting person. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. So I started chatting with him. And he told me there is this coin Discord server. You should come. You could play the game. And there is a lot of stuff happening over there. It's really cool. And I joined that 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 coin Discord server. And what happened is that I started playing with a group of uh, uh, younger, and that's the thing is like most of the war gamers that I met before that time were all older than me, and sometimes maybe old enough to be my dad. Uh, and it was the first time I was playing with people that were actually all like more or less my age. Some of them even younger, which was quite a surprise. And the community was very vibrant, and I started playing uh, coin games live with people that were like a bit more, I don't know, like a bit more funny, I guess, or a bit less serious about, about all this. Uh-huh. And I, I realized that the cheeky nature of coin games, how how it's actually a template for negotiation, for, uh, uh, and I thought it was, I realized that after the first game I played, it was an amazing experience. So the, the first one that really quick clicked was um, The Pure Land by Joe Dewhurst that is currently now in P500, but at the time was just a, just a prototype uh, on, on TTS. Um, and I, we had a lot of fun uh, playing this game. I was, and I, after that session, I was like, "Whoa, if this is coin, I need to explore more." And I started to play Cuba Libre. I started to play Andean Abyss with with all those people from all around the world, and and I just had a lot of fun. And, and it's really the moment where where coin made sense to me, and I became really a big, big coin fan after that. Um, so not as big of an expert uh, as, as as some people on the server are because there are a few coin nerds over there that are pretty extremely <laughs> good player, uh, extremely tough players, but also really interesting to chat and talk about uh, strategies with. But yeah, I think it, it's really the moment where I know, when I realized that it was a template for negotiation and mm-hmm. that was simulating political, economical, and 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 a bit of kinetic uh, aspects of warfare that I was really like, yeah, that's that's really great, but I. I feel it's really a game that rewards having the right group uh, uh, to play, I would say, at least for me. I think this is, and I've, I've touched on this topic before, um, I couldn't agree more. My favorite play of coin was a game of Fire in the Lake that did involve a lot of just analysis by the table and not just like, this is what's happening in the game, but negotiating because mm-hmm. we have to do things to win. If you just go through it mechanically, and I am playing play by email right now, and I do miss, I'm also playing an asynchronous game of Space Empires 4X, which also, yeah. um, when negotiation happens that, when we're not playing live, is when I get like glued in. Otherwise, you're just kind of going through the mechanics, and sure, the mechanics are good, but there's lots of games where the mechanics are fine, and I enjoy them, but then they're ramped up to a 10 once you start adding politicking, negotiating, deal-making. All, once all of that stuff is mm. in a game, then it's everything is just ramped up and so much more enjoyable. And I think I agree with you on coin when you have a, a player base that knows it and is willing to negotiate and not just go through the steps. I think it is at its best. Yeah. Fully agree. Fully agree with you on that. But, uh, good. So I want to go, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I, you're the guest, please. People no, no, I was, I was saying that it's a bit funny because after saying that, then you, 
if you ask me about uh, Jest of Robin Hood, uh, <laughs> the coin game, then your natural question would be, wait a minute, uh, Jest of Robin Hood is only a two-player game. <laughs> there is no negotiation aspect to it. So, um, so that's... Uh, that's that's what I expect to to be the the question as a follow up. Well, well, it, it I mean it is it is a question, but that I don't want to make it seem like a game may not be worth it because look here's here's the example. Uh, are you have you ever played Magic the Gathering? Oh yes, I've played it a lot. Yeah. Okay, so I I like normal Magic the Gathering. You and I have a sixty card deck, and we just duke it out, and we do our thing, and we do the magic thing, and that's a great experience. Commander, though, once you have a table where everyone's wheeling and dealing is like now one of my favorite things. And so I think it's okay for things to exist in different spheres um, and be a fan. There are people who probably are the opposite of us that just want to play coin and play it very strictly as a game. So, yeah. but yes, <laughs> so I guess talk about talk about just a Robin Hood. Why, why the two player route? And that's actually uh, that came from. Uh from a, a bit of a frustration that I had after being hooked on coin. So <laughs> I started playing a lot of coin games. I was like, that's awesome. That's really cool. The thing is that uh, I, I I didn't enjoy, like, I'm not a big fan of playing online. It was just extremely mm. fun to be on Discord, talk with with really fun people from, from, from the US and speaking with someone from Australia at the same time. Like, it opens up a, a range of relationship that I couldn't have developed otherwise. So that was great. But still, I was in front of a computer playing something mm-hmm. that almost looked like a video game in a way, even if it was uh, a, an actual tabletop game that I could play in, in the physical world. And I was like, well, that's really cool, but now I want to play it with people. The thing is that getting people to play a coin game is extremely challenging. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, that's the, and I started thinking about it, and I identified a few barriers uh, into the system. One of them was the footprint of the game, and I like to think about footprint in, in three dimension. Uh, time, space, and cognitive load. And the thing is that coin is pretty big on each of those uh, three aspects of the footprint. So that was mm-hmm. the first thing, big footprint. The second thing was um, uh, was the fact that the topics were, like it's a bit hard to come up uh, to <laughs> to a group of friends that play Root and say, hey, want to play a game about the Afghan war? It's like, nope. No, that's, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's like, oh, it's fine. It's going to just last for six hours and, uh, yeah, and it's going to be really cool. And that, uh, and one of you is just going to be basically a heroin dealer or something like this. It's like, it's really hard to, you know, it's like, yeah, I, you know what? I would prefer to be a nutter and just, yeah. So, so that's, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a hard sell. Uh, and that was the second thing. And I was like, okay, footprint is really big. Topic is really hard. It's not really family friendly. But I think that it is it is a series that has a lot to offer. But the first step is a bit hard into it. And I started thinking, well, it would be great to have a lighter kind of game in that, in that sense. So reduce the footprint, but also make the theme more approachable. Um, but I w- still wanted a theme that was historical. Um, and... I just had this idea on the back of my mind, and and I don't know I don't know how I I stumbled upon that, but I, I found a, an article um, uh, written by a historian, a British historian, I think called Rodney Hilton, that was a, a big medieval historian in the fifties, uh, that wrote an article. I think it was in fifty four or fifty two, uh, that was analyzing um, the evolution of the character of Robin Hood over time because it's it's actually a very plastic uh, character that. Like the the vision that we have of Robin Hood in popular culture changed a lot between uh, 
the, mm. the late 13th century to today with a lot of different phases and a lot of different things. And he was looking at analyzing that character and looking at the roots of the character, how he first appeared and how he was portrayed. And he was actually saying, you know what? This Robin Hood, this original one, he actually looks a bit like the people in Cuba right now um, doing an insurrection over there. And he's actually a bit of a, uh, like a, a bit of a, yeah, of a popular uh, hero, but at fighting for the people and, and leading an insurrection against the sheriff of Nottingham. And I thought that this article was extremely thought provoking. And I was like, wait a minute, that's extremely interesting. And then I thought if I did a coin game where I could have those two main archetypes. On one hand, I had the counter-insurrection faction that was the Sheriff of Nottingham. And on the other, I had the typical insurrection faction that was um, Robin Hood and his very men. I could have a very fun, light (laughs) duel that would make a lot of sense because historically it does make sense. If you think about it that way, it is an insurrection and you do have a counter-insurgent and an insurgent. And it made a lot of sense. And I started playing around. And understanding that, well, they had asymmetric goals, asymmetric means of going, reaching to those goals. And everything started to click and get together. And I said, oh, I might be onto something. Um, and I reached out to GMT and told them, I have this idea and I have a, a base of a prototype. What do you think? Uh, and both uh, Gene Billingsley and, and Jason Carr were like, whoa, that's really cool. We need to do it. And that was the whole idea, just finding a game that was a bit more for everyone, but that would serve as a step into uh, the coin series and 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 making this a bit more um, uh, approachable in a way, but also giving a different perspective on the the character of Robin Hood and the way we see it and and think it about his place in the social world at that time and really reflecting on that specific folk hero, which I think is really inspiring and it's always interesting to explore what he meant at different times. So there was actually an historical thing to say about, and there was like historical content, but also fulfilling an objective that I had in mind. And for me, that was yeah, perfect, perfect match. I love it. I mean, you've sold me on it. I, you know, it's not, um, you see Robin Hood at first, but then when you talk about it in that perspective, it makes total sense. Uh, that sounds awesome. Good. And then we, I need to, I can do, I, we can, we can have a demo if you want at some point. Uh, there is a, there is the, the module on TTS and the module on Vassal now. So happy to, happy to walk you through, uh, a game of it yeah absolutely uh i want to pivot if you're okay with that yeah sure actually i don't want to pivot too far because a a question came to mind um so last night we're talking red flag over paris and rich asks me like what does this cover and i say well it's it's the paris commune and then at, at that point it's like well really all i know about the paris commune is what i'm learning from this game so what is what's one book you would recommend to people if they wanted to read about the about the events portrayed in Red Flag of Repairs? Uh, that's a really good question, um, and I guess it really depends on what aspects you're uh, the most interested uh, about. Um, I think for people who would like to have a general overview of the of the event, I think John Merriman's uh, Massacre uh, would be a really good starting point. Um, okay. John Merriman is a is a is a specialist of 19th century f- French history, and he's a teacher at Yale University. He's really well known uh, in the Anglo-Saxon world for for his knowledge of, of of that period of time. So, and his book is really great, very easy read, very e- extremely well written and well documented, but still very approachable. So, I, I like this one quite a lot. So, that would be the the first thing that I would recommend. Um, then, if if it's someone who's a bit more interested into the military aspect of it, 
Um, there is a book by a, a British historian called Robert Toms uh, that did a book called The War Against Paris. That is really a, a very, very, very good book. It's a bit more dry, uh, it's a, and it's a bit more narrow in terms of focus, but it it really explain like it really explains everything around the, the the military aspect of it, but also what was needed politically for 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 that for that military execution, if you want, if you could call it that way. So it was a it's also a, a really interesting book, um, and. Then if you don't want to read a book, I think probably the best way to do it is listen to Revolutions podcast. Mm. Uh, I think they had, so they had a series, I don't remember if it's five or eight episodes, something in between. Uh, but Revolutions podcast overall is an amazing podcast, but they did a, a series on, on the Paris Commune and it's very fun to listen to uh, and at the same time, extremely well documented. It's really, really good. Great. Perfect. So th- now I want to pivot back to Homo Ludens. Um, and I, I had a couple, so you recently had a great video with all kinds of guests talking about your top five underrated games. Yeah. And I wanted to, so you are not the first person to bring up strike of the Eagles, which, uh, was a game introduced to me by, uh, Dr. Sterrett from the command general staff college at Fort Leavenworth. And he just sold the pants off of this game. I've not played it, but I bought a copy as soon as I talked to him about it. So sell me and sell the listeners on, on strike of the Eagles. Why is it, why is it underrated? What makes it so great? Uh, so it is underrated, I think, uh, more for commercial reason, but I'll come back to that later. Uh, but why it's great I think it's because it's so it's at the level of operational to almost strategic, but maybe more operational. It is a at the core you have basically path of glory, but in a way extremely streamlined, with an additional layer of fog of war. I think the depiction of fog of war in the system is the best implementation I have ever seen. Um, and one of the reasons is, of course, blocks, but we've all seen blocks. So no surprise there, but still blocks are an extremely powerful way of, of uh, showing fog of war. So that's really cool. But the thing that is amazing for people who haven't played it is that the system revolves around the concept of hidden orders. So you're going to have a series of tokens uh, and the number of tokens are going to be depending on uh, what cards you play and what different you have a different ways to uh, control the number of tokens that you're going to be able to place. And each of those tokens are a specific order. So it can be move out, move in, force march out, defend, um, reinforce. Like you have a lot of things that you can do, rail movement and all of this. And players are going to alternate placing those um, order tokens on the board, but you don't know what they are. And you have this escalation of tension where you're trying to, you know, basically what is the focus of your opponent, but you don't know if they are trying to trick you uh, if and or what they are exactly planning for, but you have a sense of what's coming, but you don't have a full understanding. And you have this escalation of tension when the tokens are being placed and you have this big mind game between the, between the different players. And it's the only game where I felt on a regular basis like I need to stand up while we're starting to reveal uh, the different order tokens during the during the resolution of the turn, because I'm like, okay, is the force march happening here or not? Or <laughs> is the base like? And you're literally standing up and you're like waiting and you're like, I cannot, I cannot sit down anymore. I'm so tense and you're, and I've rarely felt that in a game like this level of tension. And you have bluffing, which I think is something that is often missing. I think in in, in war games, which I think is uh-huh. is too bad because there is a big aspect of bluffing when you're when you're uh, in warfare and, and tricking your 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 enemy and everything. And it's really strong in that game. Like it's it's really really fun. And 
it creates a lot of tension uh, uh, with a very elegant system. Um, it is it is not that complex in terms of rule, uh, but it is extremely deep. And uh, yeah, it's just it just has everything that I love. It has cards. Uh, it has fog of war. It has bluffing. It has I don't know a lot of tension. And it's uh, yeah extremely um, uh, fun game to play. And has this great sense of movement like the illusion of movement in this game is really great um like uh, and way more dynamic than in Path of glory for example you really feel like you have moving fronts and it's it really feels extremely feels good playing it like there is a flow to it and yeah really passionate about this game um and about the system in general actually yeah i love uh, i mean i could hear the excitement there and <laughs> now you're the second person who uh you haven't led me astray yet on a game recommendation um and so hearing you both talk about it i need to remedy this and i had a chance to almost play it last year just ran out of time before it got to the table the, uh, the, yeah let me know when you play it yeah totally the other one was napoleon 1806 which was what you said was your most underrated game and my my question for you is i don't play much napoleonics it's it's just an aspect of wargaming i haven't i want to dive into i just haven't gotten there yet you think that napoleon 1806 should be my immersion into napoleon napoleonic napoleonics uh, well to answer that question i would need to ask you uh what kind of scales you prefer uh because i think that napoleonics has, has a has a lot of different systems mm -hmm. and they are all interesting in different ways but they are covering different kind of scales and napoleon napoleon 1806 is operational so, but if you're telling me that you're a big tactical guy, I wouldn't necessarily recommend you that specific system. It really depends, yeah, the scale that you like. If and that will, that and depending on that answer, that will confirm uh, me if that would be the system for you to get into Napoleonics. What do you what do you prefer generally? Oh, see, I bounce around. So let's make it easy for you. Let's say I was looking for operational Napoleonics. Well, the operational the... Napoleonics, no brainer. That's the yeah. game for you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think it's uh, it's it's extremely it is just extremely fun. Um, uh, it has almost a bit of a a chess or stratego maybe more aspect to it because you don't really know what's moving and everything, and that's also because of the blocks. Um, but it does a lot of really interesting things, and it, it's really good M more than showing the fog of war. I think this game is really good at showing two things, and that's friction. Uh, the idea that you can have a plan, but it never really happens like as you plan for it, which is extremely fun, to be honest. It's like, I always, I'm always a bit sad sometimes when I play Hex Encounter games where, well, I can optimize perfectly my moves and my uh, uh, combat ratio and, and everything. And it's like, it feels a bit unrealistic, you know, in a way. And I like a game that tells you, oh, you want to do that move. Okay, draw a card and let's see what happens. And you draw it and it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm only going to move one space and I'm blocking the whole road. And you're like, oh no, and it's super painful, but it's extremely fun. You're like, yeah, definitely stuff like this happen and you have to plan around. You have a plan, yep. you can strategize, but you also have to be flexible enough to prepare for something that you haven't planned for. And I think showing that level of friction is extremely fun. In a very simple manner, on top of that, which is really, which is really cool. And I think this game is really good at doing this. <laughs> it's it's really fast, very simple, uh, but offers a lot of interesting choice. And it's a game that you can play with non-war gamers, which is always something that I like. I like to have my heavy games, but I'm also always happy to have a game that, if I feel like someone has a bit of interest and that I can bring to the table, and and I know that 
I'm not going to kill them with rules and that we can go and have fun and play and it's going to be, uh, and it's going to flow. And I think that and Napoleon 1806 is exactly that. And on an operational level, the second thing that he does really well is depicting the, import- the importance of concentration of force. Um, and this idea that, um, and Napoleon was really good at this, like spreading around, but always being able to have his scores spread around enough to being flexible, but uh, being very efficient at concentrating fast to impact at a specific moment. Uh, and I think this game does that really well. You really feel like, well, look, I have a core here, a core there, two cores here. And it feels like you're a bit spread. And then at the moment where you see a weakness in your opponent and you strike at a specific moment, like it does that. The, the game m- enables you to do that. And it feels like uh, like operational Napoleonic warfare. And it does it really well. And I find, find it extremely fun. Awesome. Is there, before we move on to the hot seat, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, that we didn't cover or anything about your games that, that you want to mention? Oh, maybe one thing that I would like to mention. It's not about my game, uh, but it's the, the talking about Strike of the Eagle. Uh, there is one thing. So I said why I like it, and then I didn't say why I thought uh, it was underrated. Oh, yeah. And I think the reason why it's underrated is that it's a game that didn't necessarily got, a, at least as a series, didn't get a lot of support from its publisher. And I think it's a bit of a shame. Um, it's an amazing publisher. Uh, uh, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. That's Academy Games. They did a lot of great games for the hobby that helped bringing a lot of people to the hobby. Very qualitative, extremely well finished, and everything. They they did a lot of um, uh, great game like Conflict of Heroes, amazing series, Birth of America, amazing series. But the thing is that they have this potential to build series and to support it and 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 to popularize them. And they've never really done that with Strike of the Eagle, which is too bad because I know that some games have been designed for that series. And as a matter of fact, actually, I've playtested one quite extensively on the Korean War. And oh, wow. it's extremely frustrating because I've seen the game, I've seen the final art, and I'm like, what are you guys waiting for? You have basically a, a gem in like in front of you, and you could make that series live. And I'm a bit frustrated by seeing them really so many sci-fi or 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 IP games. And I'm like, that's all great, and I'm happy that you're doing good as a business. But I think as a community, war gamers would love if you just made a, a a little bit of effort and sustained that series because it's a series that deserves more, that deserves to live. I think, uh, and them holding on onto those, those designs is is uh, is a bit uh, preventing that series to grow, which I think is a shame because it's it it deserves a lot more attention and 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 games in it definitely. Well, so that's well a. That's a call from the heart uh, to Uwe. Uh, <laughs> so I hope he hears me. Please release When Wales Fights about the Korean War. Release it now. That's my question. <laughs> hey, I would I would love that because I have read through the rules of uh, Strike of the Eagles. Uh, again, just haven't got a chance to play it. <laughs> and everything you said uh, about the system would be very interesting uh, set in Korea. So uh, I'm with you. Release it right now. Yes, good. <laughs> uh, good. Are you ready for the hot seat? Yeah, yeah. I guess can can someone be ready for the hot seat? Really, I think it's just time. But I cannot really be ready for it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna try just to stumble it. through it. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, what what games on your table right now? Uh, games on my table right now. Um, I've played a lot of Reign of Witches. Uh, but uh, and the latest game that I played is A Few Acres of Snow, which I've been willing to play for a long time but haven't played uh and finally started playing so those are 
And then I've also been playing a lot of Maria recently. So those are the three nice. things that I'm playing the most right now. What's the first board game you remember playing? The first board game I remember playing is probably Risk. Okay. What do you hope every player of either Red Flag over Paris or um, uh, Robin Hood um, takes away from your games? Oh, that's a really interesting uh, question. I, I guess I would have different answers for uh, both of them. Um, I, I think the for Red Flag over Paris, just uh, just players being aware of the Paris Commune and have just a basic understanding of what happened uh, would make me happy. So if they take away uh, basic historical knowledge on the, the Paris Commune and the and the, the tension between how it's hard for an insurrection to be radical, but at the same time being able to negotiate and that, that whole tension about how do you read the revolution is, is quite interesting. And then for Robin Hood, I would like them to take away that uh, uh, Robin Hood is actually a revolutionary charismatic leader in a lot of ways, similar to Mao Zedong. <laughs> so that would be, a, if they wow. take out, that, okay. that out of it, that would be fun. Uh, what's your favorite topic to play a war game on? Favorite topic to play war game on? I'm looking behind me to try to figure it out. Uh, I do have a lot of Napoleonic war games. Um, so I would say, yeah, Napoleonic and World War One are, are probably the, the biggest topics, yeah. What's your what's your favorite Napoleonic game? My favorite Napoleonic game. Uh, it's a game that I haven't played in a long time. Um, and that's Rising Eagle uh, mm. by Hexasim. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I like this one a lot, but I haven't played it in a really long time. And I'm actually planning to play next week at the at the at the Cardboard Emperor's uh, War Game Club. Uh, so I'm happy to finally get back to it, but I have to reread the rules and everything. <laughs> but it, it's a it's a really an amazing uh, grand tactical system. What's your favorite historical topic to read about? Favorite historical topic to read about? Uh, it actually fluctuates. Um, right now, and that might give you an indication on something that I'm <laughs> working on. It's a, a topic that I'm extremely interested in. It's the collapse of the USSR. Um, so that's uh, that's something that I like to read a lot about. And I usually like to read about um, uh, insurrections overall. I think it's a topic that is interesting because it's it's a mix of uh, politics, uh, economics, and, um, and and warfare. Where do you read? Where do I read? Yeah, do you have like a go-to reading spot, or or do you do audiobooks in the car, or or on, uh, on the train, or? So I don't have a driver's license, okay. <laughs> so, I, so I couldn't I couldn't do that. Uh, I read a lot, um, and I have a spot that I really like uh, in uh, in the living room, so on, on the next to the sofa actually. So I, it's weird, but I so it's pretty cozy because we have a thick carpet, and I like to be uh, sitting on the carpet next to the sofa. And this is a place that I really like to to read on. Because there is the floor heating and it just makes my ass warm. So I like it. <laughs> so, so, yeah. I right. like it over there. Yeah. All right. This will be interesting because I've never asked someone not located in the United States this question. Um, best city to get barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do they have good barbecue in London? I, I... So you know what? Uh, actually, best city to get barbecue. Um, I might have an answer for you. I just need to remember the name of that city. Uh, let me check, because it, it is ext- it's a really hard question uh, for me living in Europe. I don't have a strong opinion, but the thing is, I um, so 
I used to work for a client that was based in Cincinnati uh, before I, I, I joined Lego. And now that I work at Lego, we also have a, a presence in um, uh, in the in the US and I visited the offices over there and I think the best barbecue I ever had in my life was in Hartford uh, but that's yeah but the thing is that so Hartford Connecticut but that's the only American barbecue I ever had because it's just south of Enfield where where Lego where Lego is and a friend brought me to Hartford and we had a barbecue and it was my first American barbecue uh-huh. I thought it was insane I was mind blown I was like oh god this is something i felt awful going out of it because i felt i've never eaten so much meat in my life <laughs> right. uh, but it was still an amazing experience i discovered like um uh, cornbread burnt ends uh yeah like, that, all those stuff and i was i had no idea that this existed and was i really loved it but then i thought it's good that i'm not living in the u.s because i probably would have more health problem over there yeah <laughs> but, right no that's that's the cause of it yeah well, I, I don't know if Hartford ranks up there, but as long as it was good, that's the choice. Yeah, it's I, right that's answer. the thing. I guess it's probably not the best place to have barbecue in the U.S., and, but that's my only experience. So that, that's okay. If it was good, it was good. It was um, great. What's your favorite war game scale? My favorite war game scale uh, is probably going to be strategic. Okay. Sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, sci-fi. Okay. Uh, what's the most influential book you've read? Uh, Foundation by Isaac Asimov. Oh, nice choice. Uh, what's the last great book you read? The last great book I read... Um, oh, wait a minute. So, uh, fiction, right? Either way. Okay, because I think in fiction, it was um, uh, one in the Earthsea cycle from Ursula mm-hmm. Le Guin. Uh, mm-hmm. Amazing, uh, amazing writer. And then... Um, actual uh, more historical book I just finished um, actually you choose your own adventure historical book uh, called The Armchair General uh, by James Holland which oh. is a quite interesting thing and I'm actually preparing a review for it because it shares a lot of similarities with historical board games it's just a very different way to approach it but it has the same feel to it so yeah this this is the same James Holland that wrote like Sicily 43 and Normandy 44 and I think so yes yeah wow interesting uh, we'll be looking forward to your review. Oh, no, excuse, sorry, it's actually written by John Buckley, but it has an introduction by James oh, okay. uh, by James Holland. Yeah, my bad. Okay, I was gonna be. Um, I mean, still sounds very interesting. Um, hundred years war or thirty years war? Oh, hundred years of war. Yeah. Okay. What's yeah, the last? Go ahead. It's a, it is the a foundational war for. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I'm French. I live in 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 the UK, so of course, hundred years of war all all the way. Yeah. Uh, what's the last bad book you read? The last bad book I read? Uh, that's a tough question. I think it was probably a book uh, on the Paris Commune that I thought was really not interesting, uh, but I don't remember its title. It was a small uh, French book uh, that was really focused on uh, gathering pieces of testimony here and there and trying to do something a bit more in between of between a novel and uh, and nonfiction. I thought it was really bad, but I don't remember the title. What's your favorite sport to watch? My favorite sport to watch. Uh, I don't watch a lot of sports. Uh, let me think. I like to watch curling, but that's really it's nice. Like only hey. every, every four years. <laughs> uh, but then I think the sport that I watch the most is still uh, football. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. And I mean the real football, not the. Yeah, you mean you, Amer- you mean American football? Is- no, no, no. I mean football. Oh, football. football. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, what's the last TV show you binged? 
the last TV show I binged, um, ah, that's a good question. Uh, we're watching Devs right now, but I wouldn't qualify that I, we're binging it because we'd probably watch a couple of episodes a week. Um, and I'm starting uh, uh, watching Rick and Morty again, and I think I'm going to binge it. It's just, but it's going to be the third time. But I just, yeah, just in that mood where sometimes I just want to watch something without thinking, and I know the the history, like the plot, pretty well, and I just, yeah, just have fun uh, enjoying it, watching it again. What's the most influential war game you've played? Most influential war game I played. Well, I I, I think. Obviously, uh, Twilight Struggle, it has a massive amount of, in, of influence on me and it got me into wargaming. Um, I'm looking behind me right now, but I'm trying to figure out. And then I think that it's really hard to say. Um, Twilight Struggle, the biggest, and then I think Cuba Libre had a pretty big influence on me also on the way I, I saw... Uh, also, war games as being potentially a, a negotiation game and a framework for negotiation. It really opened me up to other games uh, like Maria, for example, or, or I played uh, also a few months ago Westphalia, for example, and really opened up my my mind around having different kinds of experience than pure duels. So I would say getting into war game Twilight Struggle, but also opening up my mind to a different kind of experience uh, would be Cuba Libre. Thanks. Uh, swanky Cocktail Lounge or a Tiki Bar? Uh, co- cocktail lounge, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last great documentary you watched? Last great documentary I watched. Oh, I know I watched one recently. Um, actually, I, I I watched a pretty interesting documentary about the the history, but that's yeah, um, related to to today's event. Um, uh, history of the relation uh, between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, that was uh, really interesting by French media. It was. Just contextualizing everything up to the up to the tragic events that we see today. Wow! Uh, favorite war film? Favorite war film? Oh, those are tough. I should have prepared for this. What's <laughs> my? Fa- oh, I think uh, I, I don't know why I'm thinking about it. But Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, yeah. You could. Oh, uh, yeah, nice. It, it just yeah. It just it had a massive impact on me. Uh, I. That I, it's just that I didn't naturally think about it as a war film, but uh, because I think it's. It's more than that, but it is still a war film, and yeah, definitely my favorite. Favorite Euro game? Favorite Euro game? Now I have to look back, but on the other side. (laughs) Uh, Favorite Euro game? It's really tough. You're asking tough questions. Let me think. Could we say Terraforming Mars is a Euro game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Then totally Terraforming Mars, yeah. Have you played Ares Expedition yet? Yes. Does it replace it for uh, you, or...? It's it's hard to say, but I was skeptical about it. Um, okay. And and my partner she loves uh, Terraform Memoirs, and I took it because I was like, well, we don't always have three hours in front of us to play the full thing, and it could be nice to have this thing and everything. And I was a bit unsure, and I was like a bit meh when I got it. But I kickstarted it, and I thought, well, it's gonna be at least we have it. It's not too expensive. And then we played it for the first time. Uh, I think it was a couple of months ago. <laughs> and, and I was blown away. I was really blown away. Uh, because it, it does feel, uh, in a way, like playing a simpler terraforming Mars. It goes extremely fast. Uh, it builds upon some mechanics that we like uh, be, uh, from Race uh, for the Galaxy. Uh, but it's, it's still very much terraforming Mars. You have a bit less depth, of course, but you have maybe more you have more fun building the tableau it's a bit more 
an instant, like it's a bit faster. And they did a lot of things that make it just more pleasant to play. And I think it's not details that like we're playing physical objects. So this is quite important. And just the, the player boards are nicer. Um, you have a lot of things to uh, uh, set up the game that makes everything like neat. You have small spacers for the different kinds of cards. And it makes everything very, just like, just a, a very nice experience on top of having that terraforming Mars hit uh, that I yeah, that I like a lot. So I don't wouldn't say that it necessarily replaces it, but it does something pretty great. And if I'm not in the mood for playing three hours in a row, I would, without a doubt, take this game. Very good. If you could have one historical figure be a guest on Homo Ludens for an interview, who would it be? Oh, Karl Marx, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was, that was fast. Yeah, yeah. Very good. I hope he wouldn't be too upset uh, with me with my depiction of the Paris Commune. <laughs> it was a joke that I had with a with a friend of mine that got me into war game design, um, uh, Brian Esclave Hansen, and I used to say, "What would Cormac say?" Like I was talking about my design, and yeah, it was a a joke that we had the two of us. I think he wouldn't say much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, what's your favorite historical site to visit? Uh, favorite historical site to visit? Uh, well, the thing in Europe is that we live in historical sites. Right, so it's, yeah. You know, uh, and uh, there is a lot of cool things. Uh, I think what I like is just walking around Paris. Uh, and just the thing that I love about Paris is that you have layers of history on top of each other. And just exploring and walking in the streets without having a clear intent. And just picking up those small things like having this, oh, or there was this thing that happened during the Second World War here. Oh, and just here there was there, there is this rest of a of um, uh, a part of the city that was uh, at the time of the Romans. And oh, and there is this uh, thing that dates from the medieval era. And just small bits and pieces that are there that are not necessarily like uh, exposed very clearly, but just walking around and, and picking those up is it, something that I enjoy quite a lot. Great. Um... Last one, Napoleonics or Hundred Years War? Oh, Napoleonics. Okay. <laughs> I think Very it's, it, and, and the reason for that is that I think that both strategically, but also tactically, it, it is, at least as a gamer, a more interesting era. Uh, I think medieval warfare is a, is a bit lowbrow. You know, it's a bit dumb. <laughs> it's like you just get into there. Um, and a lot of the decision-making on a strategic level was not always very realist. Uh, it was also based on a lot of, uh, I don't know, ethos and uh, feelings and stuff like this and not necessarily i think that yeah so it's not as interesting to play it's fun to read about and it's fun to uh to play around and everything but i think as a as a gamer it's more interesting than Linux. very good you can relax that's it <laughs> uh, fred where can everyone find you on the internet twitter youtube uh, yeah, those would be the two places. So on YouTube, if you look for Homo Ludens, uh, and I think the URL of the channel is youtube.com Homo Ludens1871 because of the Paris Commune. So those, this would be the, the way to find me on YouTube to, to follow the show. And then on Twitter, uh, at Fred Serval. Um, and that's, yeah, it's it, I mostly post about uh, war games, but not only. Uh, you might see tweets here and there in French. Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> but it's mostly about, I mostly play, uh, post about about gaming. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else you want to add? Uh, but I would like to thank you for for having me on the show. Um, first of all, so thanks a lot for that. Um, oh, thank you. And then, uh, no, not much. I hope that I would have the opportunity to to come back to talk about uh, future projects because that would mean that I would uh, be still designing and something that I recently discovered that I 
love and I'm happy it's a part of my life. So I hope we'll have more to talk about in the future for sure. Well, well so do I. And congratulations on from just an, an observer, what seems to be a great success for Red Flag over Paris. I feel like you just see so many tweets of people uh, celebrating the arrival of the game. And uh, I saw your picture, I think it was today or yesterday, where you walked into your game store and there on the shelf was Red Flag of Repairs. And that's oh, it was actually just a couple of hours ago. Uh, <laughs> so it was, yeah, I just tweeted it. So I, I so I, we were just uh, doing some shopping outside and we we walked across the my my local game store called uh, Orcs Nest in, in London. And I and I just told my my partner just oh wait a minute I I, I want to see if if uh, if they have it in in store because I've never seen my game in a shop, uh, so I just uh, jumped in walked upstairs where they have the the war games, and uh, and I and I saw it and I was like and my partner was looking from the outside and she saw me smile because it was like I was like and then she came in and said oh we need to take a picture, uh, and because it was yeah it was the first time I. I don't know. It's it's a bit weird, but it felt real <laughs> uh, for not for the first time, but it felt like something I haven't felt before because it was mostly seeing it online, p- people making videos about it, but actually seeing it in in the shop where I go, in the, in the game store where I go regularly, seeing it physically here uh, on a shelf was felt very very different. And I was yeah pretty excited about it. Very good. Well, congratulations and thank you again. Uh, looking forward to what you have in store in the future. Cool. Thanks a lot.